Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize your rule and your reign over this whole world. We look to you as the one who has come, the king who was born in a manger as one of us, the king of the the universe that came to be one of us. And we marvel at that even still. I pray that we would rejoice in what you have done through the birth of Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection that secures for us a way back to our home with you. And so I just pray that this morning, throughout this Advent season, we would be drawn to reflect deeply on the beautiful truths of the gospel that have been made clear and evident through the life of Jesus. We pray that those who, who are struggling to believe would find faith in you during this time. pray that you would draw our hearts to see you as our Lord, as our Savior, and as our King this morning, and that we together would worship you uh, in light of who you are and what you have done. It's in the glorious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we arrive at our third week of Advent. And uh, each week over the past few weeks, we've been highlighting these four Christian virtues that are made present realities through the incarnation of our Savior in the birth of Jesus. And today we come to this, this third week, commonly recognized as, as the week of joy. What even is joy? It's kind of one of those, those uh, strange concepts that we kind of all just kind of know intuitively, we, we feel it, we experience it, yet it's kind of hard to explain at times. Some describe it as kind of a, a good feeling in response to something you find desirable or delightful. So there's just this raw, just uncontrolled emotional aspect of joy. Others frame it more as, a, out, as an attitude or an outlook on life, kind of a positivity that you choose to live in. Sometimes joy gets pitted against happiness. Maybe we've heard that, where happiness is kind of this cheap, shallow experience, and joy is this deep, unshakable reality, right? And I don't think the Bible actually makes a distinction between these kind of words and these feelings at kind of a definitional level. You look at the, the word kara in the, in the Greek, which is most often translated as joy in, in your Bible, uh, is just simply defined in the lexicon as an experience of gladness. These very basic terms that we use to try to capture these, these deep emotions and complex realities. So I think we can often use joy and happiness almost interchangeably. But the question quickly becomes not, are you happy or joyful, as if we have these two different concepts, but rather... Is it possible to find lasting happiness? You see, the Bible does not speak of a type of joy necessarily, but rather addresses our source of joy and happiness. So, what makes you happy? What brings gladness into your heart? Puts a smile on your face? What are the sources of delight that just spring forth this attitude of joy? Maybe you could think back to your childhood. Maybe you can remember a Christmas in which there was a specific item, a gift that you longed for. Can you think of a a specific Christmas where there was something that you just wanted so bad that year? You longed for it. You thought, if I could just get this this year, I don't care what else I get. I just want this. Maybe you begged your parents for it, wrote it on your list to Santa. Was there something like that for you? For me, it was probably around 1996, 97, somewhere in there. And I wanted nothing more than a Sony PlayStation. Longed for the Sony PlayStation, the original Sony PlayStation, which actually starts to like make me feel old. I always think of myself as pretty young, but then you reference the PlayStation and 
It's coming up fast, this, this age thing. But, uh, but I wanted this PlayStation, longed for it, I begged for it. And uh, surprisingly enough, I was, I was shocked. My parents, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but they somehow scrounged the money together, and even through my siblings, they, they got me a PlayStation. And I just re- remember this feeling of elation and just shock when I opened it up. I was thrilled. And I loved playing that PlayStation for years, all throughout junior high and even into high school. I loved my PlayStation. And I could geek out on all the games and everything, but I won't bore you with that. But, uh, but, but it was just this, this, this thing that I found joy in at that time in that period of my life. But guess what? That device does not bring any joy, satisfaction, pleasure into my life at all today. None. In fact, I think I, it was a number of years ago, I think I gave it away at a white elephant gift exchange, which, which uh, maybe I regret a little bit, but, uh, but I, I love that thing. There was, there was genuine joy that I found in, in playing those games on that, on, that, on that system. But aren't there, aren't there so many things in our life that have that same experience? Something that does bring genuine joy, delight in, but it eventually fades, I think we, we see this so clearly in the desires of our kids. This year for Christmas, my, uh, my third son, Peyton, he's five years old. He has been just begging for this thing called what he calls a freakout beast. Come to find out, it's actually called a breakout beast, but he didn't know the difference. And he saw a commercial for it, it captivated him, and he just wants this thing. He just keeps begging for it. I'm like, what, what even is that? And so uh, come to find out, it's actually like, a, like a, some kind of Lego dinosaur dragon thing that's uh, in some kind of egg filled with slime. <laughs> so, which is kind of cool, but uh, I kind of get it, but, but he, he, he wants this thing. He longs for it. He, just, he thinks it's going to like bring some joy into his life. He has this desire for it, keeps begging for it. And uh, so when he opens it, um, he, he, I, I figure it may last two days. Then we'll probably end up with slime in somebody's hair and this uh, big ordeal and these pieces all over the place. But for him, there probably will be a feeling of joy, genuine happiness that he, that he finds in that little toy. But soon that joy, what that, the joy that can be provided through that thing is quickly going to be exhausted and he'll have to move on to something else. But what we realize in all of our desires, these things that captivate us, these things we long for, is this this reality that we long for joy. We long for happiness, right? It is this basic human desire. We have this basic desire as humans to be happy. We constantly are longing for that experience. It's so fundamental to who we are that we even wrote it into our Declaration of Independence, right? As a people, we identified this as a basic human right, the pursuit of happiness. And our happiness in many ways is the highest pursuit that we have. We long to experience it in an ongoing, never-ending way. We certainly find it, we discover it in a diversity of ways, the things that make us happy. But the pursuit of happiness, the desire for joy, is the non-negotiable that we all live with. And we believe that it's possible to experience it because we taste it at times, right? We actually have genuine joy that that, that fills our heart. And rightfully so, because this world is full of wonders. 
these wonders that bring us joy. This was God's purpose from the beginning. As we looked in Genesis chapter 1, He created this world and He declared, this is good. And God's design and purpose for us was to experience this good world, to be filled with joy in the presence of God as we, as we image God in this world, as we go out and, and, and live and experience this world. It's a good pursuit. So where do you find joy? Where do we find joy in tangible, real experiences that we have? Maybe you, 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 you automatically think back to your wedding day. Remember seeing my bride walk down the aisle for the first time. Just a unique experience of joy. Maybe it's seeing the face of your baby for the first time. Or maybe the second look at your baby after they clean off all the slime. That actually might be like the original breakout beast, right? It's like birth of him. So, anyway. Um, but maybe it's, maybe it's being accepted at that dream job that you have. Summiting a 14er, experiencing a great meal with friends, first tracks on a powder day, sipping on a great cup of coffee, playing games with friends, experiencing a great concert, the opening scene to the next Star Wars movie. Because let's be honest, the anticipation of the movie is always better than the, the actual movie itself lately, right? It's just reading a good book. For many of us, and even our kids, it's that thrill of waking up on Christmas morning. We as humans long for joy. We seek to experience it in our lives. But here's the reality. We all have this common personal experience. This experience that I think if, we, if we're honest, we all recognize. And I think that experience is this, is that joy is fleeting and sorrow is abundant. Joy is fleeting, and sorrow is abundant. Yes, we do experience true joy, but nothing we seem to find ever provides lasting, ever-present joy. And we know that living in a world after Genesis chapter 3 as Christians is a world marked by sin, by conflict, by difficulty. And we know and we experience that sorrows abound. And it's often said that life is not a matter of if you will feel sorrow, but when and how severe. So we have this experience that, that we easily can lose our joy. And so how do we lose joy? I think one way is that either our desires fade. Our desire for that thing just, just fades away, just like that PlayStation. Another way is the thing that we find joy in is taken away. It's lost. Or thirdly, maybe... It's just that pain or sorrow comes in so powerfully, so strong and so real that it just blocks out any joy that we, can, that we can see. So we live in this tension between longing for joy, tasting it at times, and yet seeing and experiencing pain and sorrow regularly. And I think we often feel that the only way to truly have lasting joy is if we could just get rid of all the sorrow. But then what do we do as Christians, as we, as we come to Scripture, as we, as we look at the Bible for answers? One of the things that we're confronted with is this universal Christian calling that we all have, this calling set forth to us, that we are commanded to be joyful, right? Joy is described as a primary characteristic of the Christian life, right? We're confronted with commands such as the clear command in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, or what does Paul say? It's this unique place where he actually directly explains again what he just said. He said, he said, guys, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, I'm going to say it again. 
rejoice. It's this reminder. He says it twice, back to back. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Galatians 5, 22, a fruit of the Spirit, that which is born out of a life filled with the Spirit of God. One of those aspects, characteristics is joy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 tells us, rejoice always. In John 16, Jesus told His disciples that He was going to go away and then He would come back and they'd have this joy that would, be, that would never be able to be taken away from them. And we read and hear these things, and, and don't those commands just seem impossible at times? How, how, can, we have, how can we have this, this rejoicing all the time, this, this joy that is just ever-flowing, just always there? Even when you run into someone who just always seems happy, always cheerful, always has a smile on their face, what is our response? It's always like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> that can't be true. That can't be real. Maybe I'm the only one so cynical, but I think we have that reaction. It's like, how can I always rejoice? How can I always find joy? Seems impossible. Because right now, in my experience, there's, there's not a lot to rejoice in. When I'm feeling this pain, sometimes I'm just having an off day. For some reason, my mood is just not quite right. How do I just conjure up this joy out of nowhere? Where does it come from? Where do I find it? When those around me are hurting, when the thing that I believe that is actually going to make me happy isn't there, how do, I, how do I just flip this switch to rejoice always? And this is the tension in this impossible scenario that we're confronted with. But then as we read throughout Scripture, we also encounter this unique Christian paradox, this paradox that we find in Scripture. And in life, we encounter many of these things, these things that shouldn't go together, and yet there they are, and yet they exist. Um, my wife and I often have this, this debate over this. Like, for her, there's this thing that's a paradox that she should not go together, and it's this kind of sweet and savory combination of foods. So for her, like, chicken and waffles is disgusting. But I love a good chick chicken and waffles, right? Bringing those things together. They, it seems like they shouldn't go together, but they just work beautifully. But in the New Testament... The realities of joy and sorrow are seen to exist together. They're seen to exist together, and we see this over and over. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, lays this out for us. In this passage, he's defending his, his role as an apostle, his ministry as an authentic follower of Jesus and a minister of the gospel. And he says, we commend ourselves in every way. Through great endurance, hardships, beatings, imprisonments, and he lists all these terrible circumstances that he's experienced. Then he goes on and, and presents these kind of contrasting realities that he experienced as well. He's uh, seen as, as dying, and, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. And then he drops this in there. He says we're sorrowful, yet we are always rejoicing. For Paul, these things come together. In his experience of life, as he, as he follows Jesus, he experiences deep sorrow, and yet he can always rejoice. In James chapter 1, verse 2, we have this, this crazy command that says, hey, hey, brothers, consider it joy when you face various trials, when you encounter difficulties. Consider it joy. How do we do that? 1 Peter 1, verse 6 says, you can rejoice 
Even though right now, currently in your experience, you are facing grief through all kinds of trials. So how do these seemingly contradictory realities exist together? And I think that our struggle is that we easily reduce our experience of joy, the ways that we can find joy, we easily reduce that to our circumstances in our lives. And the problem then is that all of those circumstances, all of those things that we actually experience true joy in, they're vulnerable. They're open to being lost, to being changed. They're vulnerable to the sorrows that we experience. But we begin to believe that, that we either have circumstances that are, that, are, that are joyful in which we can find joy, or we have circumstances in which we have and experience sorrow. And we have this cycle that, that, that we're either joyful or sorrowful, depending on the experience of life that we exist in. And for many of us, it goes up and down, and one replaces the other, and there's this constant battle. And you can only have one in the absence of the other. So then how do we find any kind of lasting joy? And the answer the Bible gives is that we have to find a source of joy that is unchanging, that is a constant reality, a present, ongoing experience, regardless of whatever sorrows that we may encounter that still creates and provides an opportunity to rejoice. And this is what we see in scriptures that we've been given this. This is why the declaration, the announcement of the angel in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 is so impactful, where this angel appears to these lowly shepherds and declares, don't be afraid, because today I bring you good news. I'm giving you a message of good news, and this good news is going to bring forth a, a joyful experience for this entire world, for all people, because unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. The birth of Jesus provides for us the opportunity to find and experience a source of unending joy. The incarnation leads us ultimately to the cross, which ultimately leads us to the resurrection, which provides this hope, this hope that Aaron spoke on just a couple weeks ago, which then becomes the foundation and the the grounds of our rejoicing constantly, even amidst sorrow. We see this very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Where we read, it says, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance, and here's the key part, that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade. This inheritance is kept, it's reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says, in this, in this reality that is untouchable, you greatly rejoice, even though right now, in the season of life you're in, these experiences that you have around you, you have to experience grief through different trials. But what Peter is doing is he's saying we have a source of, a, of joy that is untouchable. And it's this hope that's out there 
This is what, what even Aaron, Aaron highlighted. And as we look at Revelation, it's this thing that's promised to us. It's out there, but it doesn't just stay out there in the life of the Christian, but it actually works its way back into here and now, into the reality that we experience now, that actually then springs forth joy in our lives now because of the certainty of it, because of the hope that there is. And being able to recognize sorrow and still find joy is, the, is the, the characteristic and the trait of someone who has already overcome, someone who has an unwavering confidence. And this is what happened to Jesus' followers, to His disciples, right? When Jesus told them in John 16, He said, I'm going to go away and you guys are going to have sorrow, but your sorrow when I return is going to be changed to this, to this joy. And He says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And what we see in these kinds of passages is the realism of the Bible and of Christianity. You see, sometimes Christmas, this season, can can make us feel like we have to push all the sorrow to the side, that we kind of have to hide it away because, right, this is the most wonderful time of the year. We just have to kind of conjure up this this joyful Christmas spirit. But the Bible doesn't just sugarcoat things for us. It doesn't tell us, hey, come to Christ and everything's going to be great. You're just going to have this, this awesome feeling just all the time. But what Christianity does promise is a way through the difficulties, a strength and a purpose that allows us to find stable footing even when everything else just seems to be falling apart. And this is what we witness throughout the New Testament in the followers of Jesus. They become this unstoppable force that, 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 that just nothing phases them. They're those who can never be shut down merely because of unpleasant circumstances. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's like, you kill me? Great, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Leave me here? Fine, I'll preach the gospel. Throw me in prison? I'll just keep singing and proclaiming the name of Jesus. He was untouchable. Because of this, this hope and this joy that, that was a reality in his life. And we, could, we could look throughout the New Testament to see this over and over. But this is the foundation of that great passage in Romans chapter 8. that says we're more than conquerors. And in light of that, we're going to face all kinds of trouble and disasters and, and all these, these difficulties, these hardships. But guess what? None of it's going to separate us from the love of God. In the gospel, we have this, this unchanging reality that provides for us a constant source of hope a constant spring of joy. And those who have hope in God through the gospel, those who have placed their faith in the one who came to bear our griefs, the one who came to carry our sorrows, through his death, the one who who was raised again to give us new life, as we're called and, and, and have this offer to come and receive this gift. It's those people who have that reality, that experience, that standing in Christ that allow us to have an unending source of joy that cannot be taken away. And only as we cling to this source of joy can we possibly begin to fulfill this call to rejoice in all things. You see, having joy in Christ does not mean ignoring sorrow. But it provides us a way in which we recognize and we experience sorrow 
but we have not been undone by it. So joy is not some cliched, turn that frown upside down, just buck up and be cheerful. And joy is not expressed just merely in this outward expression of happiness or exuberance. But joy then becomes this stable, consistent attitude of our heart and mind in which we know that everything will be okay because we still have Jesus. And as we pursue Him, we will find that our joy is renewed over and over again. Because the funny thing is, if you pursue joy for joy itself, you're actually probably never going to find it. But if you pursue something that is utterly desirable, you will ultimately experience and find joy. And the truth is that the Bible lays out over and over again is that God Himself is the only object which our hearts will never stop desiring. Our desires will never be exhausted in our Savior. He alone is an eternal and an unending source of joy for us. One of my uh, favorite documentary series is, uh, is, uh, is Planet Earth, put out by the BBC. Anybody watch it? A little bit here and there? Yeah. Just an amazing video series just showing all the just different uh, majesties of creation. And in Planet Earth 2, the second season, uh, the episode on deserts, there's this awesome scene at the very end where uh, one of the things they highlight throughout that is, is just the unique ways that, that all these animals find, find water. And there's this, this beetle, and uh, it has this really unique way of finding water even the, in the midst of this dry, barren desert sand. And what happens is that early in the morning, there's this fog that will set in over the sand dunes. But it will quickly get burned off by the morning sun. But this beetle climbs out of the sand and starts hiking to the top of these sand dunes. And in comparison to us in terms of size ratio, it's, it's essentially like one of us hiking Mount Everest. But this beetle starts running up the sand dune. And when it gets to the top, it does this funny move where it faces into the wind, sticks its butt in the air, its head down, and, and sits perfectly still. And what happens is slowly, the moisture in the fog condenses on that beetle's body. And the water droplets come together, runs down its, to its head, and this beetle drinks the water, almost conjured out of thin air. And as I, as I reflected on just this, this beautiful thing that happens, it just struck me. For Christians, we should be those who always know how to find a drink of water. And I think in the coming of our Savior, we have been offered an unending source of joy from which we can always drink. No matter how dry, no matter how barren, no matter how desolate our circumstances may be, we always have a source of joy from which we can drink. So during this season, don't let your joy be stolen. We truly have received good news of great joy that has been given to all of us. If you are here and you have not experienced this joy in Christ, this offer is available to you to come to Him, to place your faith in Him alone as the object of unending joy, the one who has come to bear our sorrows, to take our guilt upon Himself, to pay for our weaknesses and our sins. And in Christ, we've been offered this good news 
that can usher forth in a constant stream of good, of, of, of great joy in our lives, no matter what else we're experiencing. We have an always present source of joy in the person of Christ. At the same time, don't suppress and ignore the sorrow that surrounds you because in Christ we also have one who wept with those who wept, who understood sorrows. He was the man of sorrows, experienced deep pain, rejection, suffering, and he did that for us. So maybe for some in here, this is going to be the first Christmas without a loved one present. Or maybe it's going to be the second, third, tenth, and each time the pain still returns. Maybe Christmas for many is not the most wonderful time, but it's the most loneliest time of year. Maybe at this time your broken relationships are clearly evident during the holidays. Your struggles in your business are are highlighted because you just continue to go into more debt trying to make the holidays something special. Whatever the struggle is, whatever the sorrow is you experience, it's very real. We as humans can experience it, we can, we, can, we can confront it, we can face it, we can feel it. We can be honest about it because we still live in a fallen and a broken world. But Christ has come and He's provided us a source of joy that can enter in alongside of our sorrows. It's not that they have to be constantly at odds, but they actually come together and we can experience sorrow and joy together at the same time. And that joy in Christ provides healing and an authentic experience of happiness, even though our hearts may be in pain. This is the unique Christian paradox that we have been given in the gospel. So as we press into Christ during this season, We can realize, as the psalmist did little by little, as he said in Psalm 16, that only in God's presence is there actual fullness of joy, and only at His right hand are there pleasures forevermore that will always satisfy us, that will always spring forth a heart of joy and happiness. So let's pray to this God who has given us fullness of joy in Him. Father, we recognize the hurt and the pain that we experience, the difficulty of living in this world, constant chasing after experiences of joy when what is offered to us in you is an eternal life spring of joy. So I pray that we would, yes, receive the gifts of joy that we experience as gifts from you, but recognize that ultimately you are the only source of lasting joy. Let us experience sorrow and joy side by side because in you we have an eternal source of hope and joy. So I just pray for those in here who are hurting that you would, you would bring comfort. For those who are struggling that you would, you would provide encouragement. And for all of us, just let, our, let us fix our eyes on Christ, the one who became flesh for us to bear our griefs, to carry our sorrows, and the one in whom we can find lasting happiness. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.